0: I've been preaching uh, in in the Gospel of John, and if you would, uh, if you have your Bible along, uh, go to John chapter eight, uh, and a very interesting portion of Scripture that we'll look at today uh, in John chapter eight. Um, and uh, it'll be very if you don't remember what John eight verses one through eleven, when you open and look at it. It'll, you will be uh, reminded very quickly that it is the occasion where the Pharisees drug, I, I should say, I, I would expect <laughs> that it was probably drug, this woman, um, before uh, Christ. And uh, a very interesting passage, and I would love to... Um, Open it up, and that's what we will endeavor to do here in the next little bit. So, John chapter eight. If you would follow, we'll be reading from verse one through verse eleven. Interesting that how this how this ends. Um, my Bible doesn't even have a verse one here. It goes from fifty three through verse to verse two. It's a little interesting. Uh, What went, I'm not sure why that is this way, but uh, let's read, and I think I'll begin in verse 53 of chapter 7, and everyone went to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Chapter 8, verse 2, now early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. and When they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped Down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear them. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, Went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Well, as you know, this book, especially the last couple chapters, the last couple chapters here, In John, that we've looked at, John 6, beginning especially in John 5, with the healing of the man by the pool of Bethesda, we had this antagonism building. Not just uh, antagonism, but it became, it it, it went to outright hostility. Where uh, in John 5, because, supposedly because Christ healed on the Sabbath, it infuriated. The Pharisees and the scribes and the chief priests, and they began to seek to kill him in john five and and it went just it just it's just been building from there last time in John seven you know it, if we remember it was uh, the Feast of Tabernacles when the city of Jerusalem was probably pretty much filled to capacity with with pilgrims who had come to the third feast of the Jewish calendar. That in the third mandatory feast for all Jewish males, that they come to Jerusalem and worship. So Jerusalem was probably full, and it was an, it was a feast of tabernacles, and it was an eight day feast. So it went from Sabbath to Sabbath, and uh, if we remember, it was well here when it says. Uh, Jesus went to his own. Uh, they went to his own house. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now, early in the morning, he came again into the temple. This would have been the first day after the last day of the feast. It would have been the day following. And uh, and if you remember in John seven verse thirty seven, it was on the last day, that great day of the feast, that Jesus stood and cried out, saying, "If anyone is thirsty." let him come to me and drink. If anyone out there is thirsty, just let them come to me. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And this he spoke specifically of the Holy Spirit. So, that was just the day before. And the chapter... The chapter closes, chapter 7 closes with the Pharisees in outright hostility toward Christ, as I mentioned. Um, The chief priests in verse 45 called the officers to them and said, where is Christ? Why did you not bring him? And these poor officers said, well, no man ever spake like this man. And The Pharisees belittled them. They, verse 47, the Pharisees said, Are you also deceived? And belittled these uh, officers for not bringing Christ in for their interrogation. And then they disdained these very same people, disdained the crowd. Verse 49 of chapter seven, "But this crowd that does not know the law is a curse. This crowd, this rabble out here. these people who are uneducated, they are just this rabble, this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. And that's how and then Nicodemus speaks up and says, "Wait a minute. does our law? condemn or judge someone before it hears him and knows what he is doing and they turned on him are you also from galilee notice the attitude of these pharisees toward christ and anybody who might have supported him a very disdainful disdainful crowd and so They went, for instance, in this passage, the Pharisees went from calling Christ a deceiver. Verse 47, are you also deceived? And then in verse 4, they come and they flatter, they flatter Christ by saying, teacher. They give him a, a term of honor, teacher. And we know that their heart was not anywhere in that. It was just that they were wanting to flatter him teacher. And so chapter 8 opens now with Jesus completely undeterred by this opposition from the Jewish people. Notice I want to point out here as we look at the text how um, Christ Having spent the night on Mount Olive, on the Mount of Olives, and how that compares to the uh, Jewish people and the Jewish Pharisees, the, the rulers there. Where it says in uh, verse fifty-three, after that that whole ruckus with with the officers and with Nicodemus, everyone went to his own house, but Jesus went up on the Mount of Olives. And truly, it doesn't seem like. Jesus had any friends who were either loyal enough or courageous enough to offer him a place for the night, and he often went up on this Mount of Olives while everyone else here went to his own house. Christ went to the Mount of Olives, and it may be he had a booth you know this feast of booths it was a the Feast of Tabernacles was a was a a commemoration of the children of Israel coming through the wilderness. And maybe He had a booth that the disciples had set up. And these little booths would have been little stick frames, little little tent-like things that they would have spent the time in to commemorate their wilderness wanderings. Maybe He went to one of those on the Mount of Olives. We don't know. But early in the morning, He comes back off the mountain, back to the temple, and all the people come to him and he sat down and taught the people. We have Christ here completely opposed by religion, opposed by the Pharisees and those in authority. But he takes his ministry seriously. And is early in the morning we see our Savior engaged with these people. Well... These are the very people who would have been there in the city uh, for the Feast of Tabernacles, and maybe they would be going back home uh, later that day. Uh, you know how if, if you would find an interesting teacher at the end of your stay somewhere, and you would have their last opportunity to go hear his another sermon before you have to go home. Uh, maybe that was the setting here, because it was the day after the last day of the feast, and these people were there, gathered around Christ, and Christ was teaching them. Well, in the middle of this teaching, these pesky Pharisees showed up again. They, they were indeed a pesky lot. They show up again. And if we could, in a sense... Imagine the scene. Christ seated with maybe hundreds, we we don't know, a whole bunch of people around him. He would have sometimes thousands of people around him. And so he was seated and teaching. And here comes this hubbub down the street. And the Pharisees come dragging their latest victim brought him this woman caught in adultery and set her right in the midst, right dead center, right in front. And they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act, presumably alone. Can you imagine? Do you think these Pharisees were really that concerned about the sin of this woman? I mean, if they were... Zealous for sin, where was the man? I mean, no, they weren't concerned about the sin. They were, and we see here, the text reveals that they had an ulterior motive in trying to nail Christ, to uh, test Him, to get a, a word, to get Him to commit to either the law of Moses and... and uh, and his strict adherence or they wanted him to say you know maybe follow what they perceived to be his leniency and not be true to what god had given the people of israel well they brought this woman and said teacher you know just interrupting his teaching can you imagine the scene and this poor woman with her head hanging caught in in a very egregious sin and if 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 you if if we don't get anything else from this passage then let us let us get the gist of this passage and that it is primarily teaching us about sin it is teaching us how what our attitude should be towards sin as we learn how our savior dealt with this sin well very interestingly the pharisees were using the law as a cover and i want to and and brother neil brought this passage out in uh First corinthians 13 where it says that love i think it's in verse 6 and i, I don't have the reference here i could turn to that but the love does not rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. What these Pharisees were doing, they were rejoicing in the iniquity that they had over, that this woman was caught in, so that they had an opportunity to bring Christ, you know, to, to embarrass Christ, to, to bring him to a position where he, where he must compromise his position, where, you know, for, for instance, i 'm not sure about the chronology, chronology of Luke seven but if you if you remember Luke seven we have this harlot, this prostitute coming to to Christ at the pharisee's house the the, 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 the Pharisee who would not provide water for Christ to wash his feet. this woman comes to to uh, Christ and washes his feet with her tears and anoints his feet with this alabaster box of precious ointment. And then Christ speaks to this Pharisee and said, you know, if a man has a debt and he forgives one with, you know, $5 and he has another man that owes him $500 and he forgives them both, who would love him more? Well, the Pharisee was forced to say, well, probably the one who, who was forgiven more. And Christ points out that, look, this woman, when I came here, you would not provide water to wash my dusty feet, but she has not ceased to wash my feet with her tears and to wipe them with her hair. You would not give me a kiss of greeting, but she has not ceased to kiss my feet. Then he says, that her sins being many are forgiven. You know, he makes the point very clearly that she loved much and the Pharisee who invited him to his house loved him little. And so Christ has this reputation of grace. He has this reputation of love and compassion and mercy even amongst the Pharisees. And so when, he, when they bring this woman caught in adultery, they expect that they will have an opportunity to nail him, either not being true to the Mosaic law, and remember, they were speaking to the lawgiver here. Isn't it amazing? They were literally speaking to God who had given the law. And so they say, They expect that they can nail him. Notice what they say. Now, Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What do you say? Now, if that were a true question, if you came to Christ with such a question, it would be a good question. Lord, what should we do with this? Is there an honest heart in coming? But they were using this woman. They were using this woman, and I think, I think, uh, I think it should make us all a bit angry. This passage should all make us a little bit of angry toward the Pharisees for the way they treated women in the patriarchal system. There, where was the guy? It was. There were all guys who were bringing this woman. Well, why did they not bring the guy? Because they didn't care about sin. They, all they cared about was control. They wanted control. And they were threatened, as we've seen last time in John 7... They were threatened by the murmurings of the crowd that maybe this is the Christ. And they were threatened by the fact that Jesus had a crowd around him while he was seated teaching them. Well, these Pharisees and scribes and chief priests were threatened by this. And so they say, Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. These were a bloodthirsty lot. And if if we live by the law that's a, that's going to be how we that's going to be how we are. If we live by the law and we feel like we have a very good handle on the law, remember what they said about the crowd this crowd is a curse not knowing the law. Well, they felt like they had a really good handle on the law. And so they ask him, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. I would like to, if you have your Bible, I would like for you to turn to Romans chapter 2 briefly. And if we are familiar with the first two chapters of Romans, Romans chapter 1 is is an indictment on The irreligious. It is an indictment on those who do not know God or do not have, you know, the Gentiles. It's an indictment on all of creation for for following after the lusts of their own hearts and their own lives. And then in Romans chapter two, it's an indictment against those who are in who are religious. Romans chapter two speaks. Clearly, to the Jews as being as guilty as the Gentiles. I would like to point out verse 17 um, and following. Maybe I should have started earlier, uh, further up in the chapter. But for the sake of time... um, Let me me begin in verse 12. For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. And that would be the Gentiles. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. That's the Jew. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves who show the work of the law written in their heart their conscience also bearing witness in between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel now listen this applies back to John 8 the secrets of these men's hearts will soon be judged you see But indeed, in verse 17, you are called a Jew and rest on the law. In other words, they make their boast on the law. They rest on the law and make your boast in God. And know His will and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law. And are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind. This describes the Pharisees to a T, doesn't it? You are confident that you are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through the breaking of the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. This was Paul indicting the Jewish people for their their lack of submission to the law. They knew it, but they didn't keep it. Verse chapter 2 begins, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself, for you who judge practice the same things. So we see that in John chapter 8. Now, it's not recorded anywhere in Scripture that Jesus wrote anything anywhere else. It's interesting. There's a lot of conjecture maybe of what actually he wrote on the ground. But just think with me. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear them. Almost like he was ignoring them. They came with this, with this woman and they had this sin. It's almost like like we hear sometimes, this seems so childish to us. You know, our children might come, you know, and say, "Well," little Susan might say, "Well, Jimmy ate a bite out of my apple," and she, you know, they, they bring this accusation, and then we find out that 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 she stole the apple from him first. You, you know, it's it's just a childish. Accus- you know, I had to think of Satan himself is called the accuser of the brethren. And here we have this woman who is accused, and rightfully so. I had to think this morning after I shared out of John 8, you know, the law pronounces us all guilty. And the no condemnation is not because there's not a guilty charge. The the freedom we have is not because we were acquitted. We were guilty as charged. We were not acquitted. The judge didn't say, oh, you know, no, we're just going to, we're going to acquit. Uh, we're, We're not going to charge. No. The sentence was paid by another. You see. And so here the law stated that this woman should die. The Pharisees were all over it. They wanted to bring this to pass. Well whenever Jesus ignored them Can you imagine what was going on in their minds? He was seated at the time. And I think he he was seated and he just reached down with his finger in the dust. And he was writing something in the dust. No one knows except him what he wrote. But can you imagine what was going on in the minds of the listeners? Of those who had come. And they said, what do you say? And so he wrote, So when they continued asking him, they continued, they kept probing him. And he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. Let him throw it first. And actually it was in the law that the witnesses were supposed to be the first to throw a stone. If the witness has seen someone in this situation and and the sentence was passed, duly passed, and she was condemned or he was condemned, the witnesses were to be the first in line to throw stones. But when he said that, notice what he did again. He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when he said that, I can just imagine that they were sitting there or standing there doing this number starting to look around wonder what he's writing wonder what he's writing down you know he might be writing down about that that woman 15 years ago or that that other sin of 25 years ago that I've got harbored in my heart. I have the secret in my heart. But Christ knows that secret. And brothers and sisters, this is where we start needing to make the application. Where the word of God is coming down. And, you know, he, he writes again on the, on the ground. And I think he may have just been, maybe he was writing, th- there's some tradition that thinks maybe he was writing their sins on the ground. Because he knew that they were sinners. And he knew fully that they were, they were even vile sinners. As bad or worse than the woman that they brought. You know what Hebrews 4 and verse 12 says? That the word of God is living and powerful It divides asunder. Let me read this. Hebrews 4 and verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, for all things are naked and open to the eyes of him Uh, to whom we must give account. These Pharisees, their sin was as front and center as the clothes that they were wearing. Christ knew them intimately. Very clearly, He could have wrote every sin down that they had committed. And when He said this to them, Let him who is without sin... Let him be the one who throws this stone. Now let me ask you, as we think about this passage, was Christ being lenient toward this woman's sin? Well, what, was, what do you think was Christ's attitude toward sin here? Was he excusing this woman? There's no indication that he, in any way, said that she's not guilty. I want to point out that Christ actually uncovered more sin. He showed these Pharisees themselves. And the Pharisees, the reason they left is because he was the. They were afraid that he would begin to show them to each other. The conscience inside them is something that, that differentiates us from, from the animals. We have a reasoning conscience. And God uses that conscience to convict us of sin. And here, it doesn't matter whether you are a believer or an unbeliever. They were acquainted with the law, and that's all that you need for that conscience to convict you. If you know what is to do good and you don't do it, it's sin. And that conscience kicks in. So whenever he said, let him who is without sin among you, let him throw his stone at her first, and he stooped and wrote on the ground again. And because he was doing that, he was giving them an object lesson, a picture for them to think about. "Oh no, he's writing down what I have done." And their conscience convicted them, and lest that they should be exposed to one another and to the crowd, they snuck out. They left. Brothers and sisters. If you have an opportunity to come under the conviction of the Word of God and you sneak out, you have heaped up for yourselves a lot of trouble. These men were brought to the acknowledgement of their sin. What did they do? They snuck away. They were ashamed. They were ashamed. It's it's a little bit like, like one commentary. If you read in uh, Genesis thirty-eight about that sordid affair with Judah and the prostitute, just read G- Genesis thirty-eight, and you that that whole aff- affair with that with Judah and Tamar. And when he couldn't, when when they when they went back to make payment with, you know for that of affair, they couldn't find her. And Judah said, well, lest we be ashamed, you know. You know, it's not good for your reputation to be asking everybody where the local prostitute is. Lest we be ashamed, he said. That's exactly what, it's the same attitude. Here the Pharisees, lest we be ashamed, brought to shame before this crowd, we will sneak out, we will not deal with this sin. Oh, but they were hiding under the law, hiding behind the law, employing the law. Well, they were not the only ones there. They snuck out the oldest to the youngest. Why do you think that is? Why does it make a, why does scripture make a point of saying they went out beginning with the oldest? I don't know. I'm not sure why they went out and starting at the oldest. Maybe maybe they were the most afraid of having their record unveiled. They slipped out. Said and then the youngest, the last one, slipped out. And Jesus was left alone. And the woman standing in the midst. I believe, brothers and sisters, that this is still a great crowd among here, around here. There might have been as many as 20 Pharisees who brought this woman. I don't know. But it was in the midst of a great crowd. Jesus had been teaching after all. They slipped out. Jesus was left alone with the woman in the midst there. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one brought an adverse sentence against you? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. Have you wondered why she didn't slip out? Why did she not slip out? Well, she was brought to the Lord. They brought her to the right person. See the beautiful picture here of Jesus Christ. The gentleness. The the beauty of how he handled this situation. These Pharisees put their foot in their own snare. He... he, He just handled it so wonderfully where he pointed out their own guilt. But this woman, whom they were endeavoring to use to bring a charge against Christ, she was there and she benefited. She did not slip out. Think about the shame of being talked about in front of this great crowd. Woman. He says, where are those accusers of yours? And she said, well, they've all left. And Jesus said to her, well, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And what we must assume here, I think, is that she was penitent. She was, she was grieved for her sin. Because Christ said, well, I won't condemn you either. And may, it may simply mean, too, that Jesus said... It's not my ministry right now to condemn you. Think about it. John 3 17 says this way, and we looked at that months ago. He says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, okay, but that the world through him might be saved. And so we see here that she. She came, and Christ would not condemn her. She was condemned by the law. But Christ saved her from the penalty of the law. He saved her from the penalty of the law. Now, I would like to just simply spend a little time in application as we think about our attitude toward those of us who sin. Not that we should make any excuse for sin. I am blessed when I can come here and share my own sin. I am blessed when others of my brothers are willing to to share their sin with me. The, the, the truth of, it, of the matter is, brothers and sisters, we have sin. We have sin. What about, what would Christ's attitude be toward our sin? He would say, well, neither do I condemn you. But go and sin no more. The reason he could say, neither do I condemn you, is because he was within a few, probably within about six months of paying for her sin. He was within six months of the cross at this point. And he was going to pay for her sin. Brothers and sisters, I, I, have a, I have a burden sometimes with my own attitude toward the sins of others. It's as sometimes I, I feel like I'm like these Pharisees. We drag them out. We talk about them with no desire to do anything but justify myself. That's why we talk about the sins of others a lot of times. Brothers and sisters, we when we do that, we rejoice in iniquity. It is rejoicing in iniquity. I am, I am, I'm glad I've got somebody else that's worse than me. That's kind of what we're talking about. We have that kind of that kind of mentality. I'm afraid sometimes. I, I think I do. I would like to challenge us with some biblical direction about how we deal with spiritual sin, with sin in our midst as we come together. You know, before you give that prayer request for sin, ask yourself, what's my motive? What's my motive for sharing the sin of my brother? Is it right for you to do that? Are you tempted to speak about the sin of another? To someone else, not to the person who has sinned, but to someone else. Stop and ask yourself, is this gossip? Is this rejoicing in iniquity? Or is it love? Is it love? I want to, if you would, turn to Galatians chapter 6. As we finish out here, I want to point at a few different passages of Scripture that speak into how the church should be, what our attitude be should be toward one another as we encounter sin in our brothers' lives. Remember the beautiful example of Christ in John 8. And let us look at Galatians 6 and verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken, now this word overtaken is simply means he's caught. If, if a sin or trespass has caught someone, I don't think it means if someone is caught sinning no i think it means that someone that that this if a, if sin has overtaken anyone brothers and sisters sometimes in our in our fleeing of sin sometimes we fall and sin overtakes us doesn't it brethren if a man is overtaken in any trespass it says in any trespass you who are spiritual Now, that's an interesting thought. You who are controlled by the Spirit of God, you who are living in the Holy Spirit blessing, you who are alive by the Spirit, you who are walking in the Spirit, you who are spiritual, restore. Restore such a one in the Spirit of gentleness. Considering yourselves, lest you also be tempted. The Pharisees said, those people who don't know the law, they are cursed. This is the attitude, there but for the grace of God go I. That's the attitude of Galatians 6, one: There but for the grace of God go I. As I think it was um, Matthew Henry that said, the attitude is I was either once that or I am that or I could be that. You see, we, we could we could we, we we recognize our propensity for falling. That is not the attitude of someone who gossips. You cannot list the sins of another up here with this attitude. Galatians 6 1. But a spirit of gentleness. Considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Bearing one another's burdens. What a beautiful picture. Someone falls in sin. And you come along. Brothers and sisters. Picking them up. Encouraging them. Blessing them. Saying. You know brother. You know sister I, I have fallen in this way myself. Here's how I got the victory. Here is how I was blessed. Here's how I was enabled to grow past this, to deal with this. See, being gentle with someone who has fallen into a trespass is not leniency towards sin, it's not having a cavalier attitude towards sin. It is simply an acknowledgement that we are humanity and that we need saving. We need grace, as we heard this morning. We need God's grace and forgiveness. And so we bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I think so fulfill The principle that governs the kingdom of God. We see how Christ dealt with this adulterous woman. And we see how he uncovered the sin of the Pharisees. He was strong against sin. But notice verse 3. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing. Now, that's not politico- politically correct today, is it? <laughs> it's all about self-esteem, self-glorification, speak, speak great words, swelling words of, of, of uh, commendation, speak life, all these things. Listen. The word of God says, when you think about yourself in such a way, for if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, <laughs> he deceives himself. It's just, this is just in our face. Isn't it? It should humble us. When the word of God, he says, listen, you're not all that you're cracked up to be. You're not all that you think yourself to be. And if you think yourself to be something, you're deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself. But let each one examine his own work. Verse 4. And then he will have rejoicing in himself alone. I think what this is saying is that you look at your own life. You consider whether you are having God's grace functioning in your life whether you are gaining the victory. And then you can rejoice in your life in what God is doing for you. Examine your own work. Examine your own life. And not another. For each one shall bear his own load. You will bear. You have enough of a load to take care of yourself without considering what other people are struggling with in condemnation you put an adverse sentence on someone else you have enough of a load to carry yourself i think that is what we're saying here it's not notice it's it's not a contradiction of verse 2 where it says bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of christ here in verse 5 it is You have your own responsibility. You have your own row to hoe. Take care of the weeds in your row. And then you should also have an attitude of of caring for another. But you have enough sin in your own life to deal with. Uh, We have Hebrews 12. We'll... Just about to close here. Hebrews 12 in verse 12 and 13. And this is a quotation from Isaiah 35. And if you have an opportunity to read Isaiah 35, I was blessed by reading. This is a quotation from Isaiah 35. We, we won't go to that passage. But here it says, Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. So, come alongside and strengthen the hands, the hands which are hanging down, the hands which are not employed, and the feeble knees, those who are quivering with anxiety or lack of strength, whatever it is, come alongside them and strengthen them and make straight paths for your feet, you see, so that what is lame, when they follow you, you may be able to step over the obstacle. But if someone who is lame follows you, consider what your life is showing to others. That, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed, and we have it in uh, a very another passage in uh, Thessalonians as we relate to our attitude towards sin in the life of our brothers and sisters, we come along with a blessing, a blessing of comfort and, and courage and grace following the example of our lord jesus 1thessalonians 5:14 and 15 now we exhort you brethren warn those who are unruly see here you have a beautiful picture we have some who are unruly we're to warn them we're to speak strongly to them but then you have some who are faint hearted comfort the faint hearted Uphold the weak. Be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. And then lastly, I think it's in Romans 15. Verses 1 and 2. Are you strong? Are you, are you a strong Christian? Are you a mature Christian? Have you prevailed and, and overcome? If you have, you do not have a, an attitude of disdain like the Pharisees do. You just can't have it. that The two don't go together. A strong believer is not disdainful of those who are not as not where he's at, as someone has once said, a sneer has no place on the face of a Christian. Romans fifteen and verse one: We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples, and that is uh, a center column for the word scruples is. Weaknesses. We then who are strong ought to bear with the weaknesses of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification or building up. Leading to building up, for even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So brothers and sisters, I I just simply want to make these applications to to, uh, John 8. As we think about our attitude towards sin, may we be the most zealous about sin in our own life. You know, if we would be more zealous about the sin in our life, we would be much more equipped to help others. And we would have much more of a broken-hearted attitude toward the sin of our brothers. If we would just simply remember our own fallibility, our own weakness, and remember that Christ loved us When we were a wreck. When we were completely without strength. Christ died for the ungodly. Uh, When we were without strength. When we were enemies it says. So uh, may we take the John 8 passage. And how uh, Christ related to the sin of the Pharisees. And the sin of the woman. and, uh, And so gently dealt with them. It's just a wonderful, a wonderful picture. May we uh, endeavor to uh, be conformed to the image of Christ in this area. Well, Lord, bless you and thank you for your kind attention. We'll be dismissed.